This episode of the Colton Culture Podcast is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source of premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. Real people offering real service. Use code ColtCulture10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can now get an additional 30% off if you go to distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Colt. That's distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Colt. Or you can get it in the App Store. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX10 now, on sale, and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. Colton Culture listeners get 10% off by using the code FRET10. F-R-E-T-1-0, that's code FRET10 at isotope.com, I-Z-O-T-O-P-E.com. Welcome to episode two of the Colton Culture Podcast. I'm Justin Pearson. And I'm Luke Hinshaw. And once again, we're at Penguin Studios in San Diego, California. Today's episode, we're talking about vinyl records, their album covers, and their distinctive styles, I guess. Yeah. Right? Maybe like sort of a linear um, influence by certain labels and certain artists. I want to stress like the connection between the actual artistry that goes behind the album covers themselves and the different shapes and designs of the vinyl records that the fans feel a connection to the artists and the bands and such like that. Yeah, this this might be a tangent, but a lot of it is I think is interesting because um, I think younger people don't have a connection to artwork, you know, where they'll just kind of have an MP3. Um, and it's, and it's sort of this sort of like, I don't know, like this to me, non-existent thing, you know, like it doesn't really physically tangibly exist. Uh, and probably for both of us, I mean, I'm sure for both of us, like growing up, like as kids, like just obsessing over records. I mean, I would just look at covers and just be enthralled with the details. Yeah, I agree. But even like people will like often write me and say, can we have, the lyrics to um you know this retox album and i'm like mm. well if you bought it you you got the lyrics and they're like oh well we and you know i'm, I'm assuming like they downloaded it illegally but then they're like well i got it off itunes i there's just no way to get the lyrics yeah. so i mean i don't know i mean that's especially being like a singer in bands or whatever i've always been interested in knowing what the person's singing and if you buy a download chances are you're not going to get you're going to get the cover maybe but not the liner notes you know yeah. not the not the details to it so um yeah i think it's something that's very important it, it, but also like i mean when i was younger like just obsessing over like bands like you know the dead kennedys and the sex pistols and, and and just looking at photos you know like and looking at the artwork that kind of was attached to it says something more it it sets up i mean yeah there's the music and there's the style of the music but there's also the style of the art and there's things right. that are influencing I think as an overall entity of what a band or an album is. Yeah. Um, so then that would bring us into what our next podcast is about with Sonny K. Um, so for me, it was, 
I was always obsessing over Gravity Records and things like that, which Sonny has a relationship with through his band Angel Hair. Um, and so I was um, constantly like just kind of tripping out on like the way that the packaging and the artwork was and it was always something special and and this is kind of strange too or interesting that you brought up like the marketing of your current seven inch where back then there was no way to market it you know there was no yeah. there was no internet and so it was like so much more special when you were like in a record store and you saw you know the angel yeah. hair seven inch or the heroin seven inch in the paper bag on the shelf and you just were like what the hell is this this is so crazy and weird and so um yeah i mean i, I think like it would kind of bring in this whole like lineage of things that that would influence um a, a culture of 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 people who are into records and music and vinyl um but it also it really influenced me um i guess with the locust specifically because we put, put out so yep. many records through gsl and so there was like uh, the the eventually ended up becoming like the puzzle record and, and things like that, but using like spot gloss and using um, different elements that I think a lot of people don't use. And a lot of bigger labels and pressing plants don't even consider yeah. um, just making it interesting and special uh, on a ne- on another level. Yeah, I agree. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Sonny K. <laughs> Here we are with Sonny K. Um, I guess we would say legendary singer and owner of GSL. Hello. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Do you want to run through uh, your resume for, for a second for people that aren't aware? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I founded uh, GSL in college in 1993 and uh, ran it until ran it into the ground in 2007. <laughs> um, and then uh, was the art director for Rodriguez Lopez Productions from uh, about 2008 to for about five years and then uh, creative director at Sergeant House Records kind of simultaneous to that and then um, it's kind of on and off a little bit ever since um, a freelance d- design graphic designer and artist for the past 10 years in all of your bands Okay, uh, so yes, uh, Savalas, Angel Hair. You just looked past all that stuff. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> well, they're, I don't. They're, they're yeah, they're they're not like jobs really. They're more uh, yeah. I think of them differently. Um, yeah, so, so Savalas, Angel Hair, VSS, Your Future, Optional Body. Subpoena the past. Subpoena the past. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, cool. So, I guess. Um, it's weird because a, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff, I, I, I hear, I always hear that like Angel Hair was from San Diego, and I, and it's obviously yeah. the Gravity uh, thing. But um, so how did that come about? Like your relationship with Gravity, and then I mean, I guess why do you think people? I guess it's pre-internet, so maybe that's why people outside of San Diego or well, I, and the records are for the most part recorded here, or at least the ones that Matt put out on uh-huh, Gravity were okay. recorded here, so it gave me the, the impression that we're probably from here. Yeah. Um, well, I met them, met Matt, I met Heroin when Savalas played here in 1992. We, we, uh, so we, I found out about Heroin in Boulder from a kid from the Bay Area whose mom lived in Boulder and he came at Christmas one year and like brought, brought all these records, told me about Heroin and we were getting ready to do the Savalas, first Savalas tour. So how old were you? 
I would have been about 19. Okay. And uh, Bob and Savalas wrote a letter to the address for heroin on this on the vinyl communications record. And then a few weeks later, we got a letter back from Scott. So this is before Gravity. Yeah, I mean, I guess it was like probably like right around the start of it. Okay. Um, I think by the time we came out in spring at spring break, like a few months later, that paper bag record was just coming out. Okay. So we got this letter back from Scott, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll set up a show for you guys." So we we played at the Che with them with heroin, and then I sort of was just yeah, it was before the internet, so I didn't really stay in touch with them. The following summer, I came out with my girlfriend just kind of on a road trip and. Like we just, I was like, well, I don't know where to go. We'll just go to Encinitas because it's cool there. <clears throat> and then we got there, and and Scott was walking up the, the street, and, and we kind of like looked at each other, and I was like, oh, hey, what's up, man? And and then like ten minutes later, we were like on our way to his house to crash out, and like wound up staying there for a few days. And they were just like recording the Clickatat demo tape then. Okay. And he was like, yeah, I've got this new band, and we're gonna go on tour, and. So a few months later, over Christmas, they came to Boulder and then broke down in Colorado. Um, yeah. And so we're there for three days, and that's when I kind of like had Matt to myself kind uh-huh. of thing. Oh, well, Matt like, was with Click Attack? Matt was with them selling okay. stuff. And like, and so we just, you know, I was like, listen to this Angel Hair song we yeah. did with this other drummer who was like, Paul had quit for a little while, and we did one song with another dude. And anyway, it wasn't even that good, but he was into it and, and invited us to record when we came out. The following spring break, which would have been two years after the first one with Savalas. Okay. So two years later, we came back with Angel Hair. Sure. And made that first the record at the first the EP on Gravity we recorded at uh, Bob Barley's place. You recorded it with Bob? No, we recorded at his place oh, with, at his, with Matt. Oh, with Matt. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah, actually, Matt Anderson recorded uh, the first Swing Kid song at Bob's house too. Oh yeah, yeah. It's strange how you how that that whole. I guess because of heroin and, and um, yeah, and he didn't really have a place yet. It, and then, yeah, and in fact, I wasn't. We weren't really that happy with the vocals because they'd been kind of rushed. Mm-hmm. And so a month later, I or a couple of weeks later, I flew flew back and we actually redid the vocals in the house on Fifth whatever. Oh fourth, yeah, Fourth, fourth Street, yeah. Fifth Street, or whatever. Uh-huh. Just in his bedroom. Wow, <laughs> all of them. For the seven inch, yeah, those uh-huh. four songs. So, um, I think like an interesting thing about that record would be yours and Matt's artistic um, ideas and stuff. I mean, it's 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 loaded. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like it was really like the that was like the start of a lot of like really interesting packaging. Because I, I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure there's stuff before that, but for the most part, it was kind of everything was kind of. I mean, there was like Ebullition, which had like a, its own style. But I remember when like. That seven inch came out, and the paper bag seven inch, yeah. um, the Antioch Arrow, and the, I yeah. mean the, um, and the Antioch Arrow record, but the uh, Angel Hair, the Heroin seven inch, I guess the Antioch Arrow, and then there was one other. Well, was yeah, like, all these. He did a are... bunch of them, like <clears throat> in the time between that paper bag record, he put out the John Henry West record. Oh, and the okay, and there was a Born and, Against uh, you, Born Against yeah. UOA record. Those two records were in those those envelopes. Yeah, and so he was sort of like, yeah, do the envelope thing, but like switch it up, make it. Oh, and so it was his idea. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. like, you know, he was he was like, I feel like it's getting repetitive already. Yeah. Like, if you want to do, he's like, I print them myself so we can do something different. You can do so, color if you want. Uh-huh. So he was just silk screening. No, not, no. It kind of looks like that. But no, they were printed on an offset press. Oh. So, but like, it, you know, it's weird to like, I don't think they usually run a whole finished envelope through press. You no. usually run a flat piece of paper sure. and then it's finished later. So, um, but he was printing them like that, taking finished envelopes. I don't know, cutting the tops off yeah. or whatever, and then printing them color by color 
uh. on the offset press that way. And so did it, I don't know how many, it's like four or five colors. It must have taken a long time to sure. do. Sure. Whose idea was that? His? Kind of both. I, I can't, I think it was probably his because I feel like he, I mean, he definitely gave me the green light to do the color. He was uh-huh. like, didn't want it to just be black and white. Yeah. As far as what the art was and stuff, he was like, it's, you know, it's entirely your thing. Sure. So I remember like making it at Kinko's or whatever and sending him sort of a, not really a color key, but like an overlay thing for uh-huh. it. And, uh, Kinko's had the different color, co- color, copier options back then too red uh, and blue y- y- well actually not where we live in Boulder uh-huh. Kinko's didn't if you wanted color you had to go to this place called Business Express uh-huh. um, but that's beside the point um, <laughs> no but I sent it to him uh, black and white but just like you know was like this is the you know this is this could be a warm layer I don't even think I called out colors I was like oh, maybe, sure. maybe make it warm red or orange uh-huh. Maybe make it blue or something, and so he wound up doing the blend. Okay, like not, you know, like the blend was definitely his idea. Okay, but um, yeah, I guess it is like a pretty good like cross section of of both of us. Sure. But and then there was the album artwork, which was totally different and yeah. also awesome. I mean, it had like copper or something in it, like it, it had oh, like metallic, metallic, metallic ink, yeah, yeah I mean, which is like slightly bittersweet because it's supposed to be two words. But it's one word. Oh like, yeah, he's sure. gotten grief about it for years. So, so who who's like who did the layout to it? So I got the so I chose the photo, uh-huh. um, which was like a, the cells, right? Yeah, yeah, and it just was a you know like was writing lyrics about that kind of stuff anyway. Yeah. And like Julie and I had been over at her parents' house, and her sister was really small at the time, and had this uh, book like a science book or something, Whoa. and that was a picture in it that was open <laughs> on the on the table or whatever. Uh-huh. And I was like, that's a, the perfect picture or whatever. So I I don't know I don't I don't know if I would have been able to scan it. I feel like I probably mailed Matt the book or uh-huh. something. Well, yeah. And um, was like, this is what I want for the front, and it should be cool if it was the same both sides, so you could just keep turning it over, and it's just like a reverse thing. Uh-huh. And um, you know, it was kind of I think maybe probably suggested metallic ink of some kind. So, but but it was he laid it out and everything, and like did a great job, with the exception of the thing. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the name being wrong, but. Stylistically, though, is such a crazy contrast to the first seven. I, oh, I thought it was brilliant. Thanks. Yeah, it's cool. great. Um, and then, so you recorded everything with Matt. Uh, from that point on, yeah, yeah, the first stuff we recorded in Denver at this place called Time Capsule, which we actually went back and recorded the VSS stuff at later. Oh, okay. But um, and some, well, some VS Matt recorded some VSS stuff too. But uh, yeah, I mean, we either from that point on, it was either here at Gravity, Baker's Hill, or whatever, yeah, or or a time capsule. In wow. Okay. So then we were talking earlier about like the time span of bands. So it's just, you it ran its time a couple of years and yeah. you moved on to the VSS was after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> yeah. Angel hair was like lasted like, you know, barely two years in a month or something, you know, yeah. two or three months or something. And it, uh, kind of was a, it felt premature at the time because we were just sort of hitting our stride kind sure. of yeah um, and didn't like I didn't want the bend end and give that up because I felt like Annie and I had really like you know committed ourselves for a couple of years to make this thing happen sure. to really to make it work and went through tons of people and stuff and finally like got to a point where it was you know, um, providing us with some kind of satisfaction of, sure. on some level and people were enjoying it and like, we were on a cool label and everything. And like, so to have the rug kind of pulled out from under us with Paul felt weird, but it just, you know, having said that there was personal stuff going on in the band with other people, with, with some of those relationships. So like the band ending 
was kind of convenient okay. too. And but yeah. it's also too like leads. It, I feel like for a lot of our our era bands or grow, when we were growing up, short lived bands. You know, even like other bands like Born Against and, yeah. and stuff. It's like you know the the the, the couple year lifespan that these bands had yeah. were only like kind of made it more uh, like obscure and in a sense yeah. a little bit more special because a lot of people were like. Um, wish they had seen it, or you know, yeah. it, it was it was like cooler, I guess, yeah. or more more mysterious, you know. Yeah. So for me, with Angel Hair, it's funny because um, the only time I'd never <clears throat> got to see Angel Hair that you played at Tang Records, I think, mm -hmm. um, and I and I was going, uh, I was so psyched to see you guys play, and I remember uh, I was with Jose Palafox, and we ended up getting arrested and not make it to the show um but uh so then that was it and i was like oh that band's done and you know and that was the, you didn't see that any other time we played her i think i think if you had played i wasn't like in the know okay. or maybe i was on tour too or something yeah. um but that was like the only chance i remember and and we had issues we all had issues with tanks they sold like yeah. screwdriver records and stuff like that but um we got we, a discount on those yeah <laughs> we, it's funny because jose didn't really i don't think he really was that into that kind of stuff, like like the gravity stuff? But he wanted to go and like just fuck the store up, you know. And yeah. I was like, "That's cool. Like, <laughs> I want to see this band, and you can go like shoplift or, or like break, you know, racist records or whatever." Um, but awesome. yeah, we didn't make it to the show. Um, but it was cool because, I mean, it's a bummer that I didn't get to see it. But it made it like once it was gone, it was like, man, like yeah. it made it maybe made it so much m more cooler, you know. And I mean, I would trip out on things like how you guys hard panned the guitars and you could like, mm. there was so much for me, like musicianship happening yeah. because I was used to like, all right, the, the guitars and the bass are going to follow the same riff. And there was not a lot to it. You yeah. know, I mean, yeah. I think we were still in, in struggle or if swing kids, kind of the similar thing, like one guitar. And I mean, there wasn't a lot more to like what you would hear from just putting the record sure, on. Yeah. So I, I would trip out on like hard panning it, you know, yeah. and whatever. Well, I think, yeah, I mean. I think the musician, the musicianship in both bands, particularly since we're talking about Angel Hair, like I, I think like that's what caught Matt's attention. You know what I mean? It wasn't. It's definitely not like me pinning him down in the house for three days, like showing him the lyrics or something <laughs> yeah, like that. You yeah. know what I mean? It was yeah. like those guys are really good and they have a really cool, unique combination of styles yeah. and stuff. And then with Paul, I mean, the whole thing was just like pretty kind of formed sure. from the get-go you know once yeah. once josh showed up that kind of just like everything gelled around that of course and so uh yeah i, I mean and i guess that's i think that's probably why people even still listen to those records now because like that they're good those they guys. hold up for sure yeah. i mean a lot of that stuff of that time you're kind of like yeah maybe maybe i would listen to a record for nostalgia but if you listen to it and in this day it would still be like i think musically relevant you know which is which is rad yeah it's awesome so I mean, it's it's crazy because i remember like i did like i think um swing kids did our first like real like sort of tour and we we, we were coming back um from like the east uh, we never even made it to the east coast but we we're coming back from like michigan fest or something and we played at your house and it yep. was the first vss show and it was really a lot it's crazy it was like i think out of all the tours i've done there was like it was like the VSS show and maybe like an Airborne Radar show. It was like there was so much anticipation because hmm. uh, there was all these people saying like the new Angel Hair band. They sound like the Cramps, and I was like, "What? Like <laughs> this is gonna be the best thing ever?" You know, and, and there was all and you know I remember like going to your house and going to your basement, and you had like um, I think you had all the amps lined like with red fabric, mm -hmm. and I was like, 
holy shit you know like it was like a there was like special it was you know it's kind of yeah. like buying the seven inch and you're like well this is like printed and like it's in an envelope you know yeah. so you're like looking at this band you're like fuck they have like this special stuff already yeah. you know before they even started yeah. and, and titari also played too and yeah. maybe it was there for a show or, or something uh I think it was there yeah. for sure. Actually, so we right. were so psyched, yeah. you know. We were like, God, this is like such a uh, honor, right, you know, to play right. and like to see all this cool shit before anybody else is able to. And so, um, that was like, I mean, I was like, I was obsessed, you know, at that point. I was like, damn, oh, wow. there was so, so much cool shit. And I see why people would have at that time made like a cramps uh, mm-hmm. re- reference, I guess. Uh, you know, a lot of reverb and and, and stuff, a lot yeah. of delay on the vocals or whatever. It was it was definitely a departure from like hardcore, you know. And sure. So, I don't know. I mean, you, I mean, you want to talk about that and how it came about? Sure. I mean, I mean, the cramps thing. First of all, when you said that, I immediately think of Dave and Dave's aesthetic, the, the aesthetic that he still kind of has, which is this sort of like you know, sort of like goth gigolo kind of dude <laughs> you know what i mean and like i i could sort see of nick Knox ish yeah, yeah i mean okay. yeah yeah and uh i wouldn't put put it past him to be the person who would who would have been saying that that night at the show or uh-huh. like at starting that room well he didn't say it i think it was like other people saying uh, like, but well i mean it, yeah it could have it could have started <laughs> but i mean there was definitely first of all yeah there was definitely a, a conscious thing of like not trying to be hardcore band uh-huh um, sort of more embr- we were already kind of tired of hardcore and yeah. like not to knock Kent or anything like that but the, the heart attack kind of Puritan part sure. of it was mm-hmm. already just Everybody was boring to yeah. us yeah. and um, I mean that's what the Angel Hair record is about that's uh-huh. what the lyrics are all about oh really you know? like uh-huh. a lot of it uh-huh. um, I listen to that record and I just think of heart attack uh-huh. and think about like it's about that stuff it's not the, it's yeah. a, you know what I mean it's not for it it's about it yeah and um so it's strange that it that it was embraced by the, that world. Would you still think it was? I mean, Angel Hair was like at, like six months after we were over. We were like best new, like second to best new band or something in the readers' poll. I think uh-huh. so. It was like <laughs> yeah, really flattering and so ironic because there was our, we were six months into the next band. Yeah, you know? sure. But um, yeah, I mean, for we you know like when Dave was start, when the Viesta started, Dave had, wasn't had never played drums. And was a really accomplished guitar player, and had been our roadie in Angel Hair, and wanted to be in this new thing, and uh-huh. we wanted to just switch everything up. And so, like, he was like, "Well, I'll play drums and everything. I'll just teach myself." And we thought that was cool. And there was no real, there was wasn't anybody else around to play drums, uh-huh. and we knew that it would kind of like make the sound primitive because he didn't know how to play drums. Uh, he was going to learn, whoa. and we were replacing this guy who was like. flawless you know what i mean and super technical and everything and so a bunch of that whole thing with the lights and everything like that like as much as we owned it over the over time and made it better and all that stuff at first it was just this kind of bravado to 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 like cover for the fact that we knew we wouldn't be that good huh you know what i mean like technically speaking we were like i mean andy was great don't get me wrong andy was in the band from the beginning Uh and he's like a uh, you know he's like a virtuoso musician and jo- you know josh is a great musician as well but those two together like you know their 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 talents sort of like stoked each other sure you know and like, i mean you can reference the cramps is the same thing because the beat was always just like very simple but yeah. there was like cool like two guitars making some strange yeah thing, yeah yeah so. exactly and I it's got so. i mean their neck their their later band like you know slaves and pleasure mm. forever has a kind of swampy sort of thing huh that I think you could compare the cramps. I don't think the VSS had that uh-huh. per se. I mean, the VSS like when Reminded we started, me of PIL we or yeah. Something. I mean, we when we started, like we were all 
I mean, Dave now makes the point that we're all listening to really different stuff all the time, and that's true. Uh-huh. Everybody had their favorite things, but I mean, as a band, we were definitely into into metal box. Yeah, I could see. That. I was obsessed with like Pleasure Principle era Gary Newman. Uh-huh. Um, so was Andy. Like we yeah. loved those records, Two Boy Army and stuff. Yeah. And so that's the to me that's like the starting point for yeah. that stuff. Huh. Plus, you know, not to not to say that Angel Hair wasn't a factor in it too, or leather. Yeah. You know, like other bands that were happening at the time a, a little bit. And so, so Angel Hair, I mean, Angel Hair was ahead of its time. VSS was clearly ahead of its time because I remember fucking everyone talking shit about you guys and like making fun. And it's like, and then, it, and then like, you know, it was weird. It was, it, yeah, but I don't think we would have ever had the nerve to like do the keyboard. I mean, and I could see Andy probably doing it. Andy, Andy was a, was a proper trained musician and he played piano already but like I felt like we got the green light for having a keyboard from Antioch Arrow sure I mean but there was never an issue it's weird there's never an issue with with Antioch Arrow like no one ever like felt compelled to like ridicule them you know I, I think well yeah and I, I can't say what why exactly maybe because they were like you know I don't know like, it seems sketchier or something maybe and, and it was like the whole thing was such a wall of noise and the keyboard seemed like such an afterthought it was just this thing that was kind of plugged in and like making sound yeah. while the rest of the stuff was going on whereas with us like um, I think at the very beginning we we weren't using a keyboard the, the first show you played you had he just played bass he just played bass yeah. but I remember like I have this mental image of being at the Fireside Bowl and like having 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 this keyboard be out there before we played, like playing itself. Uh-huh. Like he set some like arpeggiating like, yeah, like uh-huh. loop or something, sure. and like that just went on for five or ten minutes, and then we played, and like, yeah. out of that evolved like having it in the songs, I uh, think. pretty fast. Yeah, like but um, and then you and then you also had like a controller set up for the lights, which yeah, tell me about that. Like how did that come about? Um, it, was, it was cool aesthetically for sure. Yeah. So it kind of like, uh, I can't remember what, I can't remember if at the very beginning there was like, so I would run the vocal, I would run the vocals through a guitar pedal. What was it, it? Delay or something? Like a DOD delay pedal. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, but it would, <laughs> I, you know, I bro- they would break and yeah. I kind of ha- inherited different ones from sure. different people. But I think it was always basically a, de- a, a delay pedal. Yeah. And, um, camera i think at the very start of the band we were using it right away so it i'm guessing at the start we had some kind of lights and some kind of thing and it, you know josh was really good with elect with electrical stuff and so he would build these light rigs um <clears throat> that kind of evolved from just like clip on things on a you know on a metal on a like a wooden stick or uh-huh. something to like actually being encased in a box that would close to protect them sure and we can move, travel with them and yeah. stuff and so uh, the problem with the foot switches is like in the in the heat of the moment in a show or whatever, just stomping on the switch. This they're super flimsy, and yeah. so we're just breaking them constantly, yeah. having to replace them. And so the solution to that was to create this this thing that you know, kind of from a distance, like look like, look like a keyboard stand or something, uh-huh. <clears throat> and have the guitar pedal on there to be able to control the vocal effects and stuff, and have these. What, be, light. what he graduated to using light switches, switches instead of yeah. foot switches, uh-huh. and that obviously just became way easier to use yeah. and like way better reaction time or whatever. Yeah. And then like actually could like play them like uh-huh. an instrument, you know. And so it kind of like synced them up a little bit better. So yeah, that's like, great. So you're taking like a a light person, you know, and making it the singer's job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow. And it kind of gave me. I felt like it gave me 
more to do. Uh-huh. You know, it kind of like I I felt like I was playing the lights sort of sure. like uh you know and, and could sort of like even though it never really was very coherent or planned or or rehearsed even like trying to like do some kind of thing where the lights and the vocal effects ma- made some kind of sense together sure but, so at this time are you doing gsl already yeah um uh I and st- what was the first release you put out okay so it's uh, the first the first record came out in october of 93 so that would have been five months before we recorded that eb for gravity okay oh so it was it's it was a while before yeah yeah okay. i mean yeah I mean, and i mean yeah. i think a lot of people know like gsl was a guaranteed student loan guaranteed stafford loan oh stafford loan um which was like a specific kind of student yeah. loan and then you and then you well, why yeah, did you so, call it just like a fuck you like to your well like because like so i so when i got into the university of colorado i applied for financial aid because i needed it or you know i mean i had a job and everything but i couldn't really support myself and um uh so they so because of my parents income or something like you know i qualified for a lot more money than i would than i really needed to live and that the first the first semester i didn't take it i was like that's just like why take money i don't need uh-huh. and by the you know, by the following semester, like I started in the spring of 92, of 93. Uh, I can't, no, maybe I started, anyway, whatever. By the fall of 93, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm taking that money this time <laughs> yeah. because I had all these, you know, lofty ideas of what I could do. It wasn't do financial it. aid. It was a loan, right? So you had to pay it back. Yes, okay. exactly. And so um, I would, I got some Pell Grants and stuff too, uh-huh. but, um, you know, they, the lion's share of it was a loan. Sure. And so it was a guaranteed Stafford loan. And so uh-huh. I thought... Oh, it'll be really funny to take this money and call a record label that. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it wasn't that funny for that long. <laughs> Did it actually say like guarantee? No, I no. always just put GSL. Oh, I started okay. out putting GSL Records, uh-huh. and then um, I remember having a long discussion with Matt once because he never used the word records. Yeah, gra- it just always said Gravity. Yeah, and he was like, "I hate putting records because it totally puts you in this box. You can only put out records." And I was like, "Oh, I never really thought of it like that. I just think it's." You know, yeah, it just is kind of generic because yeah. everyone says that. Yeah. So from that, that's kind of how I got the laboratories idea. Was like, well, I don't want to call it like, what if we just call it something that's not even doesn't doesn't even sound like a record? Yeah, label. sure. You know, and I remember outgrowing the guaranteed Stafford loan thing and thinking like, well, even if I just keep calling it GSL, I want it to mean something. I want to be able to tell people it means something yeah. cooler. I remember like spending this whole first vss tour just sitting in the van just just thinking like scribbling down ideas what of what mean. it could what it could mean and then vss yeah. didn't mean anything right yeah i mean not really like uh, um because i was confused as like he's got all these freaking weird initial yeah things. i'm like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's funny because some of them like some of my own initials and my dad's initials and uh-huh. stuff it's like this big weird uh-huh. like melee but yeah no the, the the VSS really didn't mean anything. Uh-huh. I mean, uh, it, the name did evolve out of this phrase that somebody had written in a letter. I had a bunch of foreign pen pals with trade records and stuff uh-huh. with. And and so it did evolve out of something there. And like at the time, I had foolishly mentioned it. I told a couple of friends just like absentmindedly, like not thinking it was important. Yeah. 
and before I knew it, it was like showing up on flyers saying that. And I was like, oh man, like the cat, we got to, you know, everyone, the whole band, we were like, we got to squash this because it's dumb and like we don't really want it to mean that. Oh, know? like, like the, the meaning was, yeah. was on the flyers. Yeah. Oh, the wow. full words that we had, oh, that we had, really? had, yeah. had, you know, I had told somebody just who was a friend who yeah. happened to put on shows and yeah. she made a flyer for the yeah. show, the next show she did and was just like, yeah, you know, and it was just kind of like, oh, yeah, like we've, so we don't talk about that. Yeah, I mean, okay. it's, it's, it's just misleading, <laughs> it, yeah. and it's just like... Sure, let's keep it more mysterious. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, you can do your it's, recent, it's, you can Google it. So it's weird, like, um, okay, so I don't really know how we became... I mean, like, we played the show together, and then the Locust happened, but I don't know how... How did we end up, like... Maybe I think I asked you to distribute something. You had done... You had started Bottleneck, maybe? Yeah, started... Yeah. And then somehow you were like, let me just put out a Locust record. Because I was like kind of shocked that you would be interested. See, I remember you, I remember it as you guys asking me and me being surprised that you wanted me to do it. No, we, yeah, we thought there was no way. Like, but I don't think I approached you. I think you asked me. I don't think I, I might have asked you. uh I don't think I would have been like intimidated to ask you. I just don't think I could, I don't think I did because I think I would have assumed that you guys would want to do a record with like, deep six or something yeah you know and so but we were as as weird as the locust was from the beginning until now we were it was always a mix of like we were into like we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves to like sure what would be obvious but i don't think i knew that yeah and uh you guys had just sort of like we'd only done the split with man as a bastard and the split with jenny Pickle. yeah i mean you and in my mind you had like very rapidly evolved from swing kids Uh even from struggle to swing kids Uh to that to this Locust just seemed like a, um, I don't know, like just an unprecedented thing for all of you guys. Sure. But I, and I knew, like, I would see these names on these flyers. I mean, there was association with like Crossed Out, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah. at the time, Man is the Bastard, which didn't like. Of course, once we started playing with them, like they were, and I, even with Bottle, like selling their records and stuff. Yeah. Of course, I figured out who they were. But like, ironically, remember, and then they ended up becoming uh, putting a record out on Gravity. Yeah, exactly. Know? But I remember, like, even in the early, I remember like. I think I remember when Savalas played like Cell 63 or something, uh-huh. seeing these like charred remains flyers. Oh, yeah. I was thinking like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it like sounds so weird. Yeah. Like, so it was, so it I was thought a... Locust was trying to sort of like infiltrate that world. Oh. And I don't think, I, to me, you know, I was, I had, you know, we, the v, there was the VSS, like we were um, in the Bay Area. It was like all of this rock and roll revival uh-huh. thing going on. Oh, yeah. Some of which was cool, like the audience and Starlight Desperation and stuff. And yeah. so I felt like naturally kind of like going towards that stuff because it seemed like it was more, you know, like more in a realm of like... like to rile people up though too, right? Well, I mean, I liked the idea of switching stuff up and like having rant, having the record... Li- I liked the idea of the label being unpredictable. Sure. But I also loved a particular kind of, set, you know, that post-punky uh-huh. Echo and the Bunnymen all those groups kind of sound Bauhaus and all that yeah. stuff and to me like there was a big thread of that running through those groups Starlight uh-huh. the audience and stuff to me like the there was like the <clears throat> the kind of purest rock and roll thing in San Francisco Dura Delinquent and these bands that were like stone like cock rocky Rolling Stones type uh-huh. retro and then the people that were a little bit more combining that with something darker or something that just a different kind of thing sort of like combining eras like 
60s and 80s kind uh-huh. of thing. That that combination was way more interesting to me than 60s only. Oh, sure. You know? Sure. Like the audience then. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Cool. So, uh, so you guys came along at right when that was all happening. And uh, I know at the time I was thrilled to be able to add you into this mix of stuff because I was like, this will really fucking, you know, like throw <laughs> uh-huh. them for a loop kind of thing. But I do rem- remember when we were doing the 7-inch and just being like just thinking to myself like wow it's such a trip these guys want to do this with me yeah you know? but i think like for us we were we were you know for me and and i think bobby and stuff and dave astor like we were all kind of like like psyched on the, a lot of the gravity stuff you know and like those guys really liked anti-agero so it seemed like gsl and gravity were like on this sort of same level mm. you know and aesthetically cool. and stylistically and yeah. and so we were kind of just like trying to also not be pigeonholed like with I don't know, like his hero's gone or yeah. what, you know, like we wanted to be like, we're the weirdos or like, we're the like, f- like fucked up dudes. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. Cause then we like started also obsessing over trying to have synthesizers and stuff. And I think that caused a lot of problems for, for us. Uh, a lot of people like didn't like us cause of that, which is great. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then I, I, I felt like, Oh man, it makes sense to, to not be on that other label and to be on GSL. Yeah. So that, yeah. that, that, that was cool. I mean, I I always just embrace the idea of mixing things up, and I it was funny because I've been sitting here thinking about just other things that were occurring around the same time, and I remember like quickly realizing that this idea of this like Noah's Ark kind of label with like two of every animal kind of thing like (laughs) wouldn't like it was cool for me like being Noah or whatever Uh you know, but like all the animals wouldn't really get along. And I remember hanging. I remember hanging out outside Gilman like chatting with with Nick Offer from Outhud and Chick 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 and I can't I can't remember what band what record we were talking about doing but I remember him like really being on the fence about doing a record with me because he was like I, you know I just done a Starlight Desperation record and he was like we don't want you know we're we hate that rock and roll thing we, we don't <laughs> we don't want to be rock and roll uh-huh, you yeah. know and we don't want to be lumped in with this thing going on in the Bay Area and I and I just was like, well, I mean, I think I remember using you guys as, as the example, like, uh-huh. well, Locust isn't that, yeah. you know, and it was kind of like, well, yeah, okay, cool. I mean, the VSS isn't that, yeah, you know, sure. like, and of course, ultimately they did the record or whatever, yeah. but it was like, after a while, like once the label, I think was known for that, everybody just whatever, just kind of got on with their own thing. But yeah. at first there was some sort of like a little bit of bristling about what it really was and what it meant to be associated with it or part sure. of it or whatever. Which, which is weird because I, I mean I think like that's a a thing that all, a lot of the labels that we've been talking about Gravity as well and even 31G like it, where where you would not really have a style because it's funny when people are like oh this is the I get this often like this just sounds like a 31G band you're like what yeah. is it what the hell is that exactly. you know like what like yeah. so I, what is a GSL band because you would late, later on like even when the Locust stopped releasing records with you we we would you know get I would get like your the new GSL record. Like, what? What is this? This is crazy. Like, I was not expecting this, you know. Yeah, and it was cool. rad, you know. Yeah. Like, um, even like the the that Mars Volta Tremulant EP, like mm-hmm. that was weird to hear. Or, I mean, some of it made sense, like the Spoonbender stuff and like the sort of synth heavy. But then, but then you go back and you look and you see all that like kind of '60s rock. Yeah. So I think it's rad. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, most of the decisions were made on a personal basis, like. <clears throat> it really helped to like the band. I mean, of course I would have to like the band, of sure. course, but like it really helped to like the band as, 
as people, people. you know, mm-hmm. and really have a relationship with them. And and over time, I realized that one in situations where the band was amazing, but the people weren't, uh-huh. I just it wasn't a good time. Sure. And um, so so it's like a community. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah, I felt like it was, and I and I and, I, and that might have been a little bit uh, idealistic or, sure. or naive, but for me it was because they were all my friends. So that's an interesting thing because I feel like in San Diego, when I was growing up and playing like in Struggle, even before I started playing in mus- in bands, we would go to shows that would be this sort of mix of stuff. I mm-hmm. mean, one of the most odd things I had ever seen was I remember going to the Che to, because heroin was playing, but they were playing with like a three-piece jazz band and it was like... Um, it was, you know, it was, I think it was, I think it was like, it was, maybe it was like guitar, bass, and drums, uh, maybe a piano. Anyhow, it was, it was very traditional jazz, and they were great. Heroin played, and then it was like all you can eat spaghetti, and you're like, that's weird, wow. you, know? you know. And that was like the thing, and you're like, no, oh, that makes sense. And then later on, it's like, I, you know, struggle to play with like a reggae band, and like some like Earth Day thing, you know, or like. Um, you know, and so, I, or like Crash Worship, you know, yeah. like, that. where does Crash Worship fit in? You know, so then it was yeah. like this mix of stuff. And so I feel like um, that was, to me, it seemed like a San Diego thing. I don't know if it happened elsewhere, but a lot of people would look inwards at, at the city and think like, what the hell are you guys doing? Yeah. And that and that fact that you can do whatever you want breeds, you know, drive like Jehu or whoever, you know, mm-hmm. like because you're you're capable of not having parameters and and so i felt like maybe gsl maybe it was like that in denver i'm not sure but maybe gsl embodied that sort of like mindset or like that way that it that you created what you would what gsl had become well because we would do tours like gsl like sort of like tours yeah. with bands that people like normally wouldn't go see together us with so and so yeah vice yeah. versa you know yeah. but to all of us we were like this is cool yeah the peaches you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah who, sure. or it wasn't peaches wait you guys played i mean you guys we did we would uh you know they play i remember them playing a show at gilman with you guys in sunshine and sunshine in the audience i mean it was like basically audience a, yeah. and who else like uh sunshine starlight locust audience, i mean a lot of it like dead and gone like that makes sense but then i remember we'd like throw in like uh not who wasn't after the peaches what was the band that they did that you put out after peaches Pattern. Pa- the pattern. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's okay. what I meant. We did a tour with the pattern in yeah. Dead and Gone, and yeah. I felt I was so psyched to be with the pattern, and those guys were cool. But I was like, I felt bad for them. You know, I was like, you guys are like, like we're all hard like music, and you're like not. And yeah. and I feel like the people that were there typically were upset. But to yeah. to you and us and the bands, it made sense. Yeah, you know? and it was so much fun. And also for them specifically at the time, like they were, that was a weird time like at post strokes era where there was like this possibility that bands like them would like totally bypass all that uh-huh. and go to this huge other level. And like those guys got signed to a pretty cool label in England. And like, you know what I mean? Like they kind of like were, uh, had one foot in a whole other realm. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like they could have, you know, with enough plays on John Peel or something. Music loving John Peel. You know what I mean? They could have like taken off in Europe and or what have you. And so like, I mean, it's beside the point in a sense, but at the same time, like their, their presence as part of this whole thing that we're talking about, um, like they were friends and they were part of the local scene that I was part of then in uh-huh. Oakland and Berkeley and stuff. And like, it was just like, I love, I loved their band. Uh-huh. Like I wound up being in, you know, Jim was in your future and stuff like yeah. still tight with all those dudes. But I, but in particular, I think for them at the time, it was like, I think it was like a convenient, like 
the proximity to GSL was convenient. For them? For them uh-huh. in particular. Uh-huh. Because, um, I mean, we only did that one single. It yeah. wasn't really like they were, were lying on us. It was just a way to kind of like cross... Sure. ...pollinate or whatever, like make stuff aware to other people. And that's there was never any higher hope than that. Okay. Um, so it was like a sort of stepping stone to get... Well, I don't want to say that because I'm not like... No, because that sounds like I'm accusing them of like being... But that's not really an accusatory thing. I, I'll say it. Bands do that with 3-1-G, and I'll, I'll even say it like, hey, put a record out with us, and you'll probably be able to get more exposure and go on to yeah. where you should be. Well, yeah, okay. I mean, at the time, I think the, I think in the case of the pattern specifically, the pattern did it at three or four or five or something singles all at once, all on different labels. Mm-hmm. Not on little th- Joey's bedroom label, uh-huh. but like, you know, Look Out <laughs> put out one, maybe Kill Rock Stars. AT, I think maybe GSL, like, mm-hmm. and then something in England. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. all like pretty like, you know, labels with their thing, and yeah. like, kind of in a way, just sort of like, you know, everyone loved those dudes. Everyone knew Chris from Lookout, so it was just sort of like, yeah, fuck, I'll put out a single for you guys. Yeah, why, why wouldn't I? Yeah, you know, of course. like, so, but I, I didn't. So I, ultimately, what I'm trying to say is like, I didn't feel like they in particular was like were like a flagship thing about for GSL necessarily, uh-huh. but I do see what you're saying in the sense that it was this sort of like disparate stuff or, or like uh, juxtapo- juxtaposing kind of stuff sure. to, to work in a sense. Uh-huh. But um, I don't know. I, I just feel like I've totally gone off on this yeah. tangent about this. Like it was not that not that important. No, it, it's interesting though. To me, I think I think it, it stemmed out of the fact that we would always try, or like you would always try to like have an eclectic mix. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's important because I, the eclectic mix shows up in your own personal bands. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's like in, in your... I don't know, DNA or something. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, yeah, absolutely. You know, I spent two years in South Africa when I was a kid and I don't remember it, but I feel like it's absolutely like... You don't remember it at all? Not How at all. old were you? Uh, like from six months to two and a half years oh, or something, okay. you know, uh-huh. really young, uh-huh. like right after I was born. Sure. Uh, but I absolutely think that, that that those two years totally are present uh-huh. in me somehow. Yeah. Wow. You know, like I've... Uh, I can't really tell you how, but like I have way more. Um, like at home, I kind of uh, like I mostly listen to quote unquote black music. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And I I'm the only person in my family like that. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm not the only one who lived in Africa at that time, and my parents never really cared about music that much. Yeah, but I do feel like somehow that that like some kernel of that experience like resonates with me and, and comes out that way or something. Oh, you know what I mean? So I've always been like having GSL be a multicultural thing for me, like <clears throat> accessible to all kinds of people, uh-huh. um, men and women and sure. all, other races or what yeah. have you. Like, I, I don't want to say it was a point of the label cause it wasn't. I mean, the la- the point of the label was just to document these bands or whatever mm. and, and to express myself and what was going on in my life. But like, Maybe it's a subconscious point. Yeah, I, it, yeah. And therefore, like, it's pretty important. Yeah, I mean, it's it, sincere. Yeah, I mean, uh-huh. like I don't listen to strictly punk music. Yeah. So the idea of having a record label that was strictly punk music just I probably entertained it for a short period of time uh-huh. once, but I probably just got bored. You know, I mean, like Public Enemy was my favorite band back then, uh-huh. so I was probably looking, was probably always open to something like that coming along. And it sure. wasn't until there was like subtitle or something yeah. like that where it was like oh well here's a dude who wants to do something with me but yeah. like um but even public enemy had that aspect like they were you know doing stuff with anthrax and they were yeah. you know like um terminator x has that song with black flag yeah uh, rise above it yeah so there was like there's this element where like even they were also like entertaining other aspects of, yeah. of art and 
I mean, I like I would. I remember, you know, like it's it, there's those like um, stories about Minor Threat playing with or other DC hardcore bands playing doing these go go shows or like playing with kind of like funk bands uh-huh. or, or trouble funk. Um, other people like that in DC and these these shows that I don't think were like universally success, successful and in, in the sense that they spawned a movement of those bands playing together uh-huh. or anything, but like those shows did happen in the really early eighties and, and in my mind sort of a set of precedent that that was a possibility, even though it wasn't really even embraced. And, and, and then to another extent, groups like bad brains who were like, you know, everybody always hated the reggae part of bad brains. But to me, like that was kind of the, like, I love the hardcore stuff, but uh-huh. I, the reggae part I always loved and yeah. like, wasn't like most punk kids who were like fast forward to the next song or yeah, whatever, you yeah, know? Uh-huh. So like, being aware of that stuff and being really into it and stuff, just kind of, um, I don't know, like em- embracing the, like, I don't know. I, I wanted GSL to be a really like dynamic, interesting thing mm-hmm. that wasn't pigeonholeable as one cultural thing or another. And I, and I like, and it's important to me to mix things up like that. So having it be all one thing or catering to one sound or one, cultural identity just seems really boring sure but do you think that maybe that mindset or that idea or business platform is is part of the reason why you struggled towards the end i guess uh, before you had called it quits with gso and let's i mean if we can let's let's start to talk about like your concept or your thoughts on like why gsl had to stop well it's massive and i yeah it's no that's okay um (laughs) To answer the first part of your question, like, um, I think the label was ambitious in the sense that we were, like, trying to be maybe naively optimistic in the, in the sense that, that we were, um, or I felt like we could get away with putting out all these different kinds of things and arguably still be successful with it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, there were precedents for it at the time. Like you could put, look at a label like Sub Pop, for example. They didn't really just put out indie rock records. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of everything on there if you dig, you know. And um, even going back to like the, you know, Slayer, TSOL split seven inch mm-hmm. they did back in the whatever early '90s. Like there's always there's lots of random one off things there, and there's like kind of the whole spectrum of music, you know. And I felt like they were they were a good example of something that that like the the identity of the label was enough to, to be a vehicle for all these things that didn't necessarily like have anything to do with one another. So like more of like a branding. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, I felt like that was possible with what we were doing. And and again, like we're the, the community thing was definitely there because like, you know, I mean, subtitle was on tour with go, go, go our heart or the Mars Volta or the, you know, and the, everybody was like making the effort of mm-hmm. like, you know, working together and trying to achieve a, a common goal kind of thing with it. But um, having said that, I I think it's naive to think that, like, the average kind of, like, person who listens to mainstream music and gets into a band like the Mars Volta is going to simply, by, by because of the association of all these other groups, get into them. Mm-hmm. It seems, you know, there might be one in ten kids who loves them who really loves the Locust and buys mm-hmm. all those records. But Like, chances other... are the people that like the Mars Volta would like the pattern and not the Locust. Yes, I mean, that's one, I mean, possibly, that's one mm-hmm. example. I, I, you know, I, I think that they just appeal to such a 
chili peppers kind of audience mm-hmm. in a sense like the, i mean there's a hardcore like people who buy underground records yeah you know yeah. and then there's like i mean of course there's a whole spectrum of people but like when you get to that level on a, on a huge label and you're like the band is everywhere mm-hmm. naturally the audience becomes very the audience becomes less uh, specialized to what they're do to what this band and this culture is, uh-huh. and more you know generic. I, I don't know how else to okay. say it. Like the more just like, uh, but very pass- sp- passive listeners, passive fans. You know, Interesting. P- people. It's least, not special. Is well, it's special, but not special like punk or something. Well, I, it's hard to say. I mean, it's re- I don't mean to generalize, but I'm just saying like when you when you become a hugely successful or hugely visible major label band, you the audience that you might be used to catering to real specialized un- people who pay attention to underground music and mm-hmm. and are familiar with a whole c- cultural shape of this thing sure. you know like uh once it goes beyond that all these new people might not care about all the other yeah. stuff that's yeah. so you know so like the, Mar- the mars volta's presence on gsl was a you know it was like a, a like those guys aren't naive like uh-huh. coming out of the gate it looks better to be on gsl for your first record than to be on a major label like that and we all knew we all understood that that was why we did what we did the like tremulant EP. yeah uh-huh. like it would you know like it might not make a difference now but 15 years ago it still made a difference how you were perceived uh-huh. as a band and you what your relationship was to to it, corporate america credibility yeah okay yeah and you can look at it now and, and say oh well that was like you know conniving or whatever like on whose part well you could say that the band were kind of being Uh, um manipulative in a sense uh because like or i mean any band like that any you know but like that was a very interesting point of 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 the industry because i i mean i dealt with it with the blood brothers same same thing yeah yeah and i you know i don't think it's even necessarily something for people to be embarrassed about you're kind of like proving that you have some sort of like credibility before Mm -hmm. you like sell out Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. And, like, if it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to sell out, like it was when the Mars Volta started, because they were an enormous... They were... They, you know, like, killed one enormous thing and then had a bidding war over the next thing. Like, you know what I mean? It was like... It, was, it wasn't it was an accident that they were that they were big right away, I don't think. Okay. You know, yeah, I remember... I remember <clears throat> having a discussion with a friend of ours here when they were going to play the Brick by Brick before they had a record out and it was kind of like dude you should come and see them play at the brick by brick because you're never going to see them in a place like this again and he was like well yeah you hope so i'm like no i don't hope so i couldn't care less if they fucking play in a garage for the rest of their career but Mm -hmm. i'm telling you like this thing is not going to be in the brick by brick for very long Mm -hmm. take my word for it like i I know what's going on behind the scenes sure you know like there's way too many people like chomping at the bit to have a to that see this for what it is yeah like, sure you might think that these are just kids playing punk music still but it's it's gone beyond that yeah and so and there's nothing wrong with that Everything so that was like change. the early version of mars volta yeah right at the uh-huh. beginning and, it, and and so you know we i partnered with omar while we were doing the de facto record which came first mm-hmm. and um there's nothing contrived about that there was mm-hmm. nothing there was no, there was no um, strategizing. De facto, it was a pure thing that they did for fun, that they loved. It was music that wasn't commercial, that they were doing. Like, I mean, to go from being from this like stardom of at the drive-in to saying like we're a dub reggae band, mm-hmm. it was like what? Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, you may as well say you're like a 
Dixieland. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just like was so for most people so incongruous and and random. And I was like awesome. You know, yeah. like, I love that music. Uh-huh. Let's do a record together. Uh-huh. You know, and so it, which is funny because I don't I don't like that music at all. Yeah, and um I was and I remember like the Locust played shows with them and then we did we were supposed to do a whole European tour I remember before <laughs> it became Mars Volta yeah. and I, I was like that's cool let's tour the band that's fucking dub <laughs> like cannot stand that music but I like those guys so much like that'll be that'll yeah. be great but imagine how like on paper imagine how how eclectic that tour was like sure. you guys Electra Lachman those bunch of German women paying tribute to Fugazi like that's yeah. pretty unusual yeah even now probably <laughs> um and then them yeah like you know yeah. like what um, we would be the odd band out of that that bit uh, on that bill although yeah although you would have been the draw you would have been it would have been your audience seeing them i guess but it was still a little difficult once once they pulled off that yeah tour that's first. right because de facto had toured europe and had been successful touring uh-huh. europe and they had billed the shows as de facto presents the mars volta, mars volta yeah but um, anyway, I can't remember what my point was, but... Uh, well, the, we were trying to figure out this like sort of like lin- linear perspective on like what, how it came to a stop, GSL. Okay, so yeah, I mean, uh, the short version, um, even though I spent a lot of time talking about the long version, um, we put out, in my opinion, the, the direction of the label was compromised because we were... It was very difficult to keep up with the demand for the Mars Volta's records, okay? So producing a massive amount of records, repressing records, triple record jackets, all this stuff, picture discs and all this stuff. So like, are you are you talking about the the full lengths that were also were they co-released with another label? Yes. So um they uh were they were signed first of all to Universal Records and then later to Warner Brothers. And um they're their deal with those labels allowed for their own label, i.e. GSL, because uh-huh. we were partners by then, to have the rights to issue the vinyl of okay. their records. And so we did that for all their all the records, with the exception of, uh, well, up until the one that was the Grammy winner, which actually came out on... Um, Universal put that one out themselves, okay. because GSL was done. Okay. So keeping up with the demand for those records keeping them in print and everything was was a huge undertaking and um it was created very significant cash flow problems all the time because you would have to invest in putting the records out there and not getting your return yeah and then waiting for the Uh big morning check six months later or something like that um so there was that issue there was also the fact that i was still coming from a discord frame of mind where i didn't want to charge too much for the records Mm -hmm. and i and i was hung up always on on pricing the records and the guys in the band and the and the the mars volta and basically every other band were real hands off they trusted us to to take care of that end of things Mm -hmm. and just whatever and um you know we weren't selling those records for enough like everything was too cheap and even but though, you were not losing money on them. Well, no, but I mean, we weren't certainly weren't making the kind of profit that we probably should have to uh-huh. really run a sensible business. Uh-huh. And um, it was uh, all of this was compounded too by by this idea that like at least I was kind of using the Mars Volta to expose these other groups. Sure. And I felt like 
it was just a matter of time till we were going to start really breaking these bands um, to their audience, uh-huh. you know, or, or something like I, I you know. Uh, so the like later releases on GSM. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and so we were, you know, basically just like putting out too many, too much stuff, mm-hmm. too often. You also get into a routine. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Like at that level with a distribution thing, where it's like. You kind of just, I see it happen with so, you know, with the, with the alternative tentacle. I mean, everybody, especially like, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm, it's not Mordem's fault or anything like that, but at the time I noticed it happening with a lot of those labels, just this falling into this routine of putting out stuff all the time, mm-hmm. like whether it's the best thing you could put out or not, like just like it becomes at some point kind of like essential part of maintaining the regularity of everything to keep having stuff come out. Yeah. If you have these periods where there's not stuff coming out, it kind of messes everything up mm-hmm. and gets really difficult. It's like two, two opposite forces. You know what I mean? Like this hugely popular group that required all these resources, a whole bunch of other groups that were taking resources and not really uh-huh. regenerating them. Um, so you had just money going out and like not come back exactly. fast enough or in the right exactly yeah. and and then you know things were changing with de- with everything about the music industry the download you know the iPod came out uh-huh. and like you know like the Christmas the iPod like the like you know the iPod came out in the following whatever Christmas it was 2000 let's say 7 or 8 or something uh-huh. whenever it was that the iPod really like went global yeah like our our distribution check from more than uh for, who would it be at that point i think it was a red eye or something uh-huh. but our our check like fell in half the uh-huh. next, it, like, it, it was permanently like the ipod came out and a month later we got the sales report and it was like it had like the bottom half of it had just fallen away huh. and it, and never, that, it never came back yeah. and it was like wow that little machine just like completely killed half of what we're doing yeah but we were still you were still manufacturing cds yeah, which was in hindsight like really short-sighted and foolish mm-hmm. and like um, But no one really could have seen that coming. No, and I know, I know we definitely weren't the only people doing it and yeah. getting stuck with them, but man, if I it, I don't I don't have <clears throat> regrets about it because everything happens I think for the way it's supposed to happen, but if I did have the opportunity to go back and undo any of that stuff or redo it, I would definitely like press less of everything Mm -hmm. and you know fewer records overall fewer titles but not get there's a certain amount of like bravado that you start buying like you kind of like yeah well we're gonna sell this many thousands of this thing or like you know we have to make this many like it's it's like we're we're not being optimistic if we only press 500 you know or uh, you know you can rationalize it any number of ways but like it's also easy to just fall into a routine and think you're doing the right thing or think that something is just a lull that's going to change and go back to the way things were. And like, even though it's a small business and you're like right there seeing how things are going, it's, it's also, at least I was finding it easy to, to, to finding it difficult to react quickly enough to know how to react Uh to things that were going on. And so, yeah, we just had money going out. Um, the, le- the records were costing more and more. We were, we were hiring publicists by that point. The last couple of years, like uh-huh. every record, every album would cost, you know, five to ten thousand dollars just on the marketing part. Yeah, and would sell. I mean, no one sold records like you guys did. Mm-hmm. Like who? Locust. Oh, 
you know, the Mars Volta, the Mars Volta is head and shoulders above everybody okay, else. Yeah, yeah. But as far as every other band on the label goes, there was a couple of, you know, the, the Chick 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 album did great. Uh-huh. There was other, there were, you know, the, we did a faint 12 inch that did great. There's uh-huh. things here and there that did, were really big and successful, but like as far as consistent numbers or even, you know, even just br- the idea of breaking even or breaking a thousand records, mm. um, got more and more harder, to difficult do. Yeah. and less likely. And it started seeming like by 2004, 2005, like 2000 seemed like the golden years, mm-hmm. you know, like the things that were possible in 2000 were absolutely no longer possible by 2005 for mm-hmm. us, unless we were like really willing to completely change the way we were doing things and adapt and, you know, probably would have been wise to hire some young people who were more savvy about, you know, social media as it was coming up. Uh-huh. And like, but by that point I was like, you know, personally speaking, I had social media like barely existed. Well, yeah. I mean, that was like the dawn of like, that was still my space and then the dawn of Facebook and stuff. Mm-hmm. But like, um, yeah, I mean, you know, like I, we had a cool website, but it could have probably been cooler, mm-hmm. you know? And, but by that point I was, you know, I had been doing the label for 12, 13 years and was, um, had largely accomplished everything I'd ever set out to do with it, which was really nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. in, a, in a sense, like I, I never had a goal in mind, you know, like I'm not, I'm a driven person, a person and, a, and a, an ambitious person. But when it comes to goals, like core black and white things I want to accomplish, um, I haven't had that many in my life. I've just kind of like, it been it's been more generalized than that like i know what i want to be doing and i know what feels right or what have you and another thing that's, that i'm interested in and and that I, the ideas that i want to try and propagate in the world and so so maybe like the the label was like i don't know like the link to you becoming more of a design artist absolutely yeah it, i mean cuz correct me if i'm wrong it wasn't like your first kind of like shot at like designing was like the locust record cover yeah, I that mean that was, was certainly yeah that was like um, c- certainly my like first Photoshop attempts and things like that. Yeah. Like I learned digital art. I learned how those programs work. Julie and I kind of learned to get. She, I mean, she sort of learned and then taught me. Uh-huh. Um, but to make your record, that first twelve inch, and to do the Starlight Desperation record, which was virtually the same time. Uh-huh. Um, what was the cover of that? It's pink and blue, and it's kind of like oh this, yeah yeah yep, <clears throat> um, and. Uh, you know, I I had gone to school to do art and yeah. like completely got uh, distracted by music, and mm-hmm. I finished school and got an art degree, but like couldn't have cared less about it. Uh-huh. And, like was running a club, was in a band on tour all the time, was putting on shows for which club? This place in Boulder called Club One Fifty Six, which uh-huh. was on campus, okay. like in the student union. Uh-huh. Um, so I managed that place for two years and booked it, and. Um, you know, like art just became less and less important. Like, I mean, do I would do the art for these records that were these, you know, the angel hair thing. I would take a lot of pride in doing the art for it, but uh-huh. I like school art and stuff. I was supposed to be learning and and techniques I was supposed to be mastering theoretically, uh-huh. like just totally were not even important to me. And so I squeezed by and, and graduated, and you know. By the time the label was winding down, it was sort of like I, I was starting to feel I had been creating art for GSL for advertising and occasionally for record covers and stuff like that, your records and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, I was feeling like I had neglected that part of mm-hmm. me and, and I was burnt on quote unquote business. 
But you're but the GSL is like design or like style like artistic style was your style like it, it, it like even now like in reference to your book it seems like gsl to me i mean it's definitely been fine-tuned and become something else but you, you know you, for so long you would see it like in the the the, the fonts and the way the yeah. text was laid out and the way some of the color schemes were like it it was your you could tell you were driving huh. it you know? that's interesting well that's cool to hear. First of all, like that's that that I mean, and I know like the the book, the you know the Headspace's font is the same as the VSS font. So uh-huh. It wasn't an accident. I just do love that font. Yeah. Too. Um, but earlier on, you said something about how like GSL and Gravity sort of like seemed on this even keel or something at that point, and like, I mean, there was no single bigger influence on GSL as Gravity. I mean, like Gravity was like like what he was doing was totally just. For me, like a complete uh, like reimagining of the whole idea of, of punk records, uh-huh. you know. And um, the thing is that I, I was so impressed with it, and so was kind of in awe in it, and so immediately like disillusioned by all the copycat stuff that happened instantly. Like, I mean, within a few months of those um, those envelope records coming out not the not in the paper bag record so much but like the envelope thing just got copied endlessly yeah and the whole um you know matt kind of developed that thing where he would like typewrite with a typewriter mm. and then and then write over it you mm. know reach actually trace the letters with a pen or a pencil too mm-hmm. so i had this doubled up weird effect that was pretty unique to heroin at, at first yeah that was everywhere within a few months, uh-huh. you know? And so the whole thing just was so accessible and so easy to do. It just became dumb. Sure. Um, and, or, bo- you know, boring. Uh-huh. And so my whole thing with GSL was like, I felt like the way to distinguish what we were doing and, and give it its own aesthetic was to do what we did with your record with the seven inch was to make the most plastic record possible Uh instead of doing instead of having it be the most um you know crafty or papery Uh or or like hand done thing yeah Yeah. instead to just like even though i i appreciated that aesthetic and i thought it was really cool i felt like gravity had already cornered the market on it and to like to do the same thing would be redundant and dumb and to do regular stuff would just be to just do regular stuff and so i felt like what can we do that would be a nod to that that's the opposite and so it was like let's just make this thing let's put it in a plastic sleeve Uh the thickest kind of plastic sleeve possible you know we kind of i mean the locust seven inch was like we just wanted it to look like that vss seven inch yeah with the not the full back cover but that was also to showcase the vinyl which i thought was you know i totally forgot about that vss seven inch you're absolutely right that i forgot we did that so that that's where the idea for that came from yeah was like well okay you know it was was, well that's funny too because it was sort of maybe it wasn't cheaper but you were like printing just like a piece of paper that wasn't even a full 14 inches long yeah but it but it was so much cooler to the fan because you could just instantly see like what the vinyl looked yeah, like you know yeah exactly and I, I thought that that was like and then of course all the different colors of records mm-hmm. and stuff like that i just <clears throat> i felt like that was the solution to that it to that design problem yeah. you know and uh but yeah the vss thing was the yeah i mean that was i guess the prototype for it in a sense but even even that was like not I mean, it, it definitely was that idea, but I felt like the Locust thing took it to the next sure. stage by because there were so many yeah. versions of it. Well, I know? do see the shift from like, 
the angel hair seven inch to the VSS seven inch because it was angel hair one was more like that kind of organic y like crafty and then the VSS was more like Photoshop. Pla- plastic is a good example. Like yeah. it just seemed like almost like like a Japanese toy. Yeah. You know, like it was so cool, like like a I don't know, like Megatron or something, yeah. you know. And it, it definitely with the locust stuff, it was like bright colors and contrasting and campiness and yeah. you know, even like the use of all the camouflage shit, you know, like and then put like bright colors on it and whatever. So, um, yeah, that, that seemed to be like, but then I, I do always would always assume or like associate, um, GSL stuff with like very vibrant, bright colored stuff where like that gravity stuff or a lot of like that stuff from that era was like earth earth tones and, and, yeah. Well, first of all, they're using uncoated paper for everything. So all the ink is soaking into the paper and getting dull. So nothing has any reflective value. Well, and they're, and like they're using cardboard and spray paint. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, but that's interesting. I've never, I've never really thought about it that way, but I I see, I see your point. Uh And I get, you know, it's funny though, too, because, um, for me, uh, I like putting out the, my first record, the broken seven inch, I, I, uh, it was like, oh, I'm going to start this label and put out unbroken. And they, and so for unbroken, they had already done records with like new age records and it was glossy and it was like very photo, like not a Photoshop, but just like, I don't know, slick, like, slick. Pro. And, I, and, um, and, uh, and they they wanted to go like the gravity way, you know. They yeah. wanted it to be like rubber stamps, which was influenced by Bob or Vinyl Communications and Gravity. Sure. And, and and so I was like, I wanted it to be. I didn't want it to be like arts and crafts. I wanted. I was like, okay, like let's do a record. It's gonna be rad and it's gonna look good. And they're like, no, we want it to look <laughs> shitty, like as shitty as possible. And I was like, what? And I was kind of confused, but it worked out in my my first record putting out, you know, on a, on a label, starting a label that worked out great for me because the costs were nothing. Yeah. Which is funny because then you think like why a lot of that stuff started. I mean, all the use of those, those envelopes was, was a, was a brilliant idea. Even the plot, the paper bag thing that, that Matt yeah. was a brilliant idea. It really, it really was. Yeah. It was Saved a lot of money and, it, and no one ever had done that before. Yeah. But yeah. you're right. It got ruined. It got, yeah. It got I mean, anything that's that easy to do is just like, that's my big problem with punk ideology in general DIY is an awesome idea and I'd certainly like been the motor behind everything I've done for most of my life but I, I think like being able to DIY do it you know doing it yourself means anybody can do it and that uh-huh. throws the doors open to a bunch of people who just don't who aren't very creative uh-huh. and so like that's why hardcore is as generic as it is you know like <laughs> just to use one example like so it's it, it's a bit of a catch twenty two. Like I totally believe in the in the ide- in the ideology of do it yourself. And even if you're making redundant, repetitive stuff, the fact that you're doing it is better than not doing it. But does does the world need to? Do you need to share it with the world? I don't know. Like I think we're totally going off on a tangent. But I yeah. I, I feel like a lot of people aren't honest with themselves, huh. or are or are. Um, and be, you know, the same could be said for me. Like I'm not suggesting that I'm ex- any kind of exception to this, but uh-huh. I think like. The world is full of redundant ideas, and I think the joy of creating music or expressing yourself isn't enough for a lot of people. They have to share it with people, uh-huh. <laughs> or and it's becoming easier. And to it's do becoming that. easier, yeah. and and in a sense, it's becoming easier to be good. Uh-huh. Um, and and this, arguably, there's more talented musicians and performers living right now mm-hmm. than there ever has been before. Like I understand all those things, but I also think that like you know when you are contributing to a culture that welcomes everybody's contribution, you're bound to start getting contributions that are just kind of like substandard because 
in the spectrum of human behavior, there's always going to be people phoning it in. You know what I mean? There's always going to be people who are just doing it. To, there's going to be the people who are doing it to drive themselves and, and evolve and, and create something new and communicate. And there's people who are doing it just to be part of something or to contribute to something they love or whatever, but they just don't for whatever reason. They're not, they're not pushing them, you know, like, and again, I, gosh, it's like, this is such a can of worms. Cause like, what is creativity and what is validity of something like it's totally subjective every person has sure. a different opinion of that that was kind of the point with putting these punk rockers on the cover of the angel hair record it was like to, to, to like drive the point home like this thing is so generic already you know <laughs> and it, it's it's as meaningless as insects it's tiny yeah. it's like doesn't uh, uh. it doesn't it doesn't it's like a microscopic thing that goes on and then you grow up and you kind of like that's what that cover was from that's what it means to me. Fuck, that's crazy. I was drawn towards the punk aspect. I was like, that's crazy. Because at that point, we had already sort of denounced like Spikes and, and Doc Martin. Yeah. You know, we were, and, and I was like, what the fuck? That's the dude with the Mohawk. And then I thought like, whoa, bugs are cool. You know, like, I don't know, like pre-locust kind of like art, whatever. Yeah. So I was like, this is this is a fucking rad record cover and I don't understand it. Oh, well, good. I mean, that's good. And that's cool too. And, and like, it, like, it doesn't, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily need for anybody to understand uh, it. Like yeah, my, I, yeah. my concept for it doesn't need to be anyone else's certainly, that's, that's but very interesting, but that pick that picture of that guy, um, that advertisement that that's from like, I, you know, I'm sure you probably can relate. Like I used to buy an MRR every month mm -hmm. religiously for, probably i don't know five or six years i mean i just i like i would be there waiting for it mm -hmm. you know it was so important and there was so much in it and yet the stuff that was the stuff that stood out more than any the, 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 the things that seemed the most peculiar about it were the things that never changed like it was such a an important timely thing it had so much dynamic information in it that would change from month to month that the things that wouldn't change about it became conspicuous. So there was these ads for these companies. One of them was Subterranean Records, the mm -hmm. mail order company. They had this ad with these cartoon Apple cores talking to each other. And it was like someone's idea of a joke because it's hardcore music and mm -hmm. it's Apple cores. And so this totally silly ad with these Apple cores chit-chatting about how to mail order ran month after month after month for like years mm -hmm. and it was like can't anybody at subterranean come up with a new ad for their shit like mm -hmm. this is so <laughs> redundant you know and like that's just one example there was uh -huh. a, and i guess in a way it's just like you could look at it and be like who really cares about it? you know like these guys were probably busy or whatever but at the time like <laughs> this thing was like an important thing to me culturally yeah. it was like like and if you weren't keeping up with changing if you didn't have something new to say every month it kind of became this cartoon and i and i saw these labels just re-upping this ad every month, running the same ad for the same record two, three years in a row. Like, and it was like, huh. who the fuck is buying this record? Yeah, like, yeah. And like, who's this band? Like, this thing is so... And so it almost became like a... You know, back in the day when you'd let it be like the Cal Worthington commercials in LA, like, you know, like everybody knew the song because the commercial was always on. Yeah. It was like something like that. Like everyone knows this ad because it's always in the paper. No one's going to buy the record. No one even knows who the shit is anymore. It's yeah. just like another part of punk that has become this silly cartoon of itself. And that's huh. what I was getting at. And like, that's law. I realize that's like totally not obvious and not even. 
uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. You know, and it's not as though we were like reinventing, like what were we doing that was so unique? Nothing. We were just well, like another generation of stuff contributing to this. Like that's very that's very humble of you to say that, but like you did that record was in our little you know microcosm of a world was was groundbreaking. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. It, it, I mean, I mean it, people were like, "What the fuck is this?" Musically, lyrically, the way it looked, everything was different, and we were like, huh, "That's just." Weird. Cool, yeah. And, and, I mean, and that part of it is, I guess, maybe it's cool to hear that because it's a little bit. I'm a little too close to it to really, of course. Know, you know what I mean. Which maybe makes it takes it to that point where it's like so sincere because you had no fucking yeah. idea, but to everybody else, we were all like, "Holy crap, this thing is really weird." Wow. So it was the opposite of the hardcore ad, <laughs> the, the that, Apple Core. Ad. That's cool, and that, <laughs> yeah. and that was so. That's to me. That's like the true like uh-huh. that record is a, is a is a success because of that uh-huh. because like. Uh, I mean, it's just transcended the like. You know what I mean? It's uh-huh. like it's it's totally achieved its point yeah. in in a, in, a, in a way, and that's really amazing because it was born out of something that was just kind of like our weird commentary on something that like that. You know, uh, I don't think any of us ever expected sure any it to resonate with anybody in a in a in a over any period of time. Yeah, you know? all of that stuff was meant to communi- be communicated with people immediately in that yeah. moment, you know, and and then that's how I think everybody mm-hmm. was looking at it at that time. I mean, yeah. now it's weird, you know, to be like in our forties or you know, like I, I think when we were like doing that in our teens and our twenties, it was always like right now is all that I like. You, you know, our our folk, my at least yeah. me and all my bandmates and friends, it was like we didn't look past like the next month you yeah. know like let alone like 20 years yeah. it was just kind of like right now is what it is yeah isn't that crazy I, yeah I mean and I think about how long all these bands lasted and it's like it's almost inconceivable mm. you know and to think it's been like 10 years since the last time I was in a band a band that tried to be a functioning band mm-hmm. um, who I've been like you know kind of like wishing would actually try and like all get back together and do something together. which when band it, optional body Oh, okay. I would love for Optional Body to actually do wow. something. That was 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Like, that's, to me, it seems like, a, I don't know, last year or something, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, it seems yeah. like not that much has happened between Since then and now. Uh-huh. Like, musically, for me, uh-huh. uh, or even... Uh, for any of us you know what i mean like everybody who was in that band 10 years ago hasn't really done much since then we've all like gotten bit gotten on with our lives and had jobs and careers or what have you some people have gotten married and stuff like it's not as though as people we've just been treading water like we've all things have happened and stuff and yet like that band to me is like still where my heart and my mind are if i Uh if i was gonna be in a band tomorrow i would want to be in that band wow you know what i mean Uh like and it's just so weird to think of like the span of time since that was even happening is double the time that the VSS and Angel Hair existed yeah. combined. Uh-huh. You know, like Whoa. that's just hard to understand. Yeah. You know, like that, wow. And it was only a few songs. Optional Body, it was yeah. like, yeah, about eight songs. Oh, it was that many, okay. There's only a couple on that record, yeah. but we wrote a bunch more. Uh-huh. And Russell's got all these, like, Russell recorded every rehearsal. And so uh-huh. he's got them all, like, Every now and then I'll get like his email with these random things attached. It's like you know you could just add vocals to this and we can we can mix it and he's, uh, we could yeah. or we could just go in and really record the songs and make a record like yeah. we should have in the first place. Yeah. So I don't know, but so what's what's stopping you? I don't know. No, nothing really. Nothing is stopping us except us. I mean, like everyone, mm-hmm. those three guys all live in L.A. Mm-hmm. and like three different corners of L.A. But still, in, yeah. all in L.A. 
regardless. And uh, I would drive there every weekend if I knew it would amount to something. Maybe they'll hear this and be like, "All right." And I've said it to all. I've said <laughs> yeah. it. I, maybe I haven't said it to Rocky recently, but uh-huh. I've said it to Russell and I've said it to Alan. Like those guys know. Like um, they know I would love to do it. Yeah. Um, and they're busy and they have you know, like everyone's got stuff going on in their lives. But I think you know, I don't think anybody would necessarily not like to do it. I think it's just the effort it would take to make it happen. I don't sure. know if it's there. Yeah. You know. But maybe some of those things take time to like make it relevant. Yeah, you might be right. In the era of reunion shows, or yeah, whatever, you know, not that that would be a reunion, but no, but all... I mean, I mean, in a sense, it would. But I, you know, and every now and then, there's, you know, the discussion comes up with guys in other bands, and mm-hmm. like, you know, it's not, it's not, it's. I don't think it'll ever be completely ruled out. The v, the VSS thing seems like a really like a long shot. Mm-hmm. I think the Angel Hair of the two that would be more likely, but even that, I don't, I, you know, yeah, I don't know, but. Um, the one I would want to do would be optional body. The one that would make huh. me feel like we were doing something cool or whatever. Uh, well, productive. Like, Probably because it never or, got the chance yeah, to breathe. Yeah, you know? and it was never. It would never reached its like potential. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I love all these dudes that I've been in these bands with. But like those three guys are still like, I still talk to them all all the mm-hmm. time or see them, and like they're like three of the best friends of my life. Mm-hmm. Like nothing would make me happier than like to do a record with them and go on tour like wow. whatever you know yeah. it would be really you know like that would be really cool yeah but um short of that I, I don't feel unfulfilled in any way and so like at the same time like without this without the personal thing for me anymore like like the art the, for me for me making art making visual art is really like what i want to do sure and i love contributing to music and like doing stuff with my friends and so if that's possible simultaneously uh-huh. i'm happy to do it I love to do it. And like, like this now. I mean, yeah, well, exactly. Doing a Planet B song and yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. But mm-hmm. the idea of doing a long distance project and a whole album and how, yeah. with people I don't know. Yeah, like, of course. Just, you know, it's. Well, then it also becomes that thing where it's not special. It's not, you yeah. know, you're not. It's like putting out a band that you don't know. Yeah, you know, it's exactly. Kind of and it would be different if I was like a young kid who wants to be a singer in a hardcore band. Yeah. It's like, well, these guys, like, I'll just move to the other side of the country and join the band. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it'll be awesome. Uh-huh. But that that's not the situation. And like, you know, like uh-huh. it's the personal part of it that's sure. that's appeals to me now. Uh-huh. You know, it's interesting. So that was our conversation with Sonny K. Um, be sure to check out his book that he just put out, Headspaces. Um, you can get it from the Three One G website. And um, check out what Sonny's done in the past. Check out Angel Hair, VSS, and um, definitely check out what GSL was and uh, its importance, uh, I think, in musical history. Yep, yep, definitely. Bands, artists, just take notes on his history and see what he did just by himself for bands and with bands and, you know, just utilize that and be original. Yeah. Cool. Um, And stay tuned and uh, check out our uh, upcoming future podcasts.